Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We are two girls talking about sports because our opinion counts too. I'm your host, Meredith Hine, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by my co-host, Megan Hussline. Hey, Meredith. I cannot believe that we're finally here talking about college football and, of course, a Buckeyes win, so I cannot wait to get into it with you. I know, and such a, we'll talk about this in a minute, but like such a big win to open the season. It feels like we just really, you know, went with a full head of steam into the season. Um, no, like, preamble period at all, but very exciting. Right. You see all these other schools, <laughs> Alabama, facing these no-namers week one, and we faced off against the number five team in the nation and won by double digits. So we definitely started the season off with a bang, and I honestly couldn't be happier. We... We will talk about all of these things, uh, but first, because it is this podcast, we do have to talk about Serena Williams' song, swan song last week at the U.S. Open. Oh, I was just, I was waiting for this moment to come, and I was really hoping that it would end with a trophy in her hand, but unfortunately, it did not. But what a run she had, honestly. She gave it everything she had, three set matches, it was just it was so wonderful. It was so bittersweet to watch. I'm so happy that I got to watch all of her last matches, but man, I can't believe that it's finally over. But honestly, she was sent out in a nice way. I, like I said, I wish she won the whole tournament. I think she could have, but 
she just, she did great. I mean, upsetting the number two player in the world at her age, she just looked like Serena again. And it was nice to see that one last time. I agree. And, you know, what was really cool was seeing Arthur Ashe Stadium sold out in one mm-hmm. of the earlier rounds, which does not normally happen. Um, and I don't know, Megan, if you saw all of the celebrities who were there, but Russell Wilson was there. Saquon Barkley, there's this hilarious video of him, like, in a box, and they're filming him while he's watching one of Serena's rallies, and, like, he's, like, doing all the moves. I think so you I can tell that, exactly yeah. what's happening on the courts <laughs> by watching him. Um, but yeah, I felt like her last match was really kind of a microcosm of what she's done for the sport of tennis as a whole, right? Like mm-hmm. she brought in that star power. She put on a show and like you said, one of her last matches ending her career by knocking off the number two player in the world en route to, you know, a a really strong finish in the U S open. Obviously she did not end, like you said, with a trophy in her hand, but still impressive nonetheless. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, she did struggle in her matches prior to the U S open, but I think she was honestly saving it all for this major because she just looked amazing. I mean, Her sirs, like, how many aces did she have? I mean, it was amazing. She just looked powerful. She was moving so well. She was lasting in these three-set matches. So it was just really, really nice to see that just one last time before she evolves away. I don't want to say retires, but, (laughs) yeah, it was just really great to see her look like herself. Yeah. Um, And certainly, you know, following her final match, lots of tears, lots of emotion. when she said that there wouldn't be a Serena without Venus. Oh, I lost it. I did. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I lost it Friday night. And then again on Saturday morning when I was like <laughs> reading more of the stuff. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, uh, of course, it felt like this really, really positive moment in sports. Um, unfortunately, it feels like there's been a bit of a sour note to it that's come to light in the last couple of days. Um, Margaret Court, who was an elite tennis player, you know, back in the day, she actually has 24 Grand Slam titles and 64 major titles. Um, excuse me, 24 major singles titles and 64 total titles, um, making her one of the most uh decorated tennis players ever um she she's 80 now she went on i think it was the telegraph and said that she admires serena williams but she has never felt that serena admires her this i just wish she never really came out and said that i mean it's just difficult because obviously they come from two different eras but even more obvious is the impact that Serena had on tennis went beyond the sport. I mean, it was just for women, sports in general, for women in general. She just totally changed the game coming in as a black woman. And she's just so accomplished and just totally changed the game, like I said. So I don't think that it's the fact that Serena doesn't respect her. I think there's obviously mutual respect between both of them, but 
I mean, I don't know why she would come out and say this just in the middle of Serena's last matches and all of that. So I feel like it was just improper timing for sure for her to say that, that she feels like her accomplishments don't add up as much as Serena's. I just don't see why she needs to play the comparison game right now. So definitely unfortunate timing, um, but I don't agree that, you know, Serena doesn't respect her. I'm sure that's definitely a two-way street. Well, what's just what upset me so much about this was like she's she should not be attacking Serena. And let's be real, what this equated to was an attack. Mm -hmm. Like when Serena should be celebrating her evolution, not retirement. Right. Yeah. Four years coming. Anyway, but it's like there, it's clear who you should be upset with. You should be upset with the generally male dominated sports media that covered you back when you were playing. Mm that you were not able to be this person that Serena was today. Like, it's not Serena Williams' fault that she is playing decades later and had this opportunity to break through in a way that she didn't, you know? And I don't understand why we can't just accept, like, a rising tide lifts all boats. Like, Serena Williams makes Margaret Court's legacy even greater, it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. And I felt like those comments just made it – it made it feel like there can only be one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's upsetting. Like, Margaret Court should have paved the way for Serena Williams, who's paving the way for Coco Goff, who's paving the way for the next person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just just really upsetting. Like you acknowledged, the timing was just really inappropriate. Yeah. Like you said, it doesn't have to be a comparison game. Like, like you said, Serena – made Margaret Court's accomplishments even greater. Like, honestly, I wouldn't know who Margaret Court was really if, you know, they weren't constantly comparison. Like, okay, Serena's chasing this record of hers and, oh, she's going to tie it. Like, Serena and Margaret Court were pretty much synonymous with each other when, you know, you talk about all their accomplishments and records that they set. So they're both two of the greatest of all time. You don't need to throw jabs at each other or feel the need to one-up each other. So, yeah, I am pretty upset that she said that, you know, in the midst of all this. But, hey, she's probably just wanting to relive her glory days. So, I don't know. Hopefully everything gets cleared up. Hopefully. Um, But regardless, uh, even with this sour note, um, lots to celebrate with Serena Um, But of course, the U.S. Open is not over yet. In exciting news, as of we are recording this on Tuesday, as of Monday, none of the big three men's players are going to be in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, which is just wild to me. I know. What a fun major. I mean, obviously, uh, Federer hasn't played this whole year and Djokovic couldn't play because of the vaccine policy. So that leaves Nadal, who has just been on an absolute tear this year. But, yeah, he lost to an American, uh, Tiafo, on Monday. So that was probably the most shocking upset of the whole tournament so far. One of the most shocking upsets, I should say. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's still kind of dealing with the injury that he got from Wimbledon or what, but that was huge. So it'll be super exciting to see um you know, who ends up winning the whole thing because we had Nick Kyrgios upset number one Medvedev too. So 
I mean, just so many upsets, so many fun things happening. I just, I love the U.S. Open. It's so fun, all these upsets. I mean, it's an exciting time. Uh, The only downside, of course, is that, you know, this kind of huge weekend of the U.S. Open coincided with the first weekend of college football. Yeah. But hey, we're still celebrating both. Come on. We're true fans of both here. We certainly can. We're just not going to be sleeping very much. Yes. (laughs) It's worth it. But anyway, moving on to Ohio State football, as we mentioned at the top of the show, like the start of the season was just so much. There was no warm-up game. I don't love that term. I think it's kind of disrespectful, but like there was no essentially game against, you know, your typical Mac or your Sunbelt opponent. Mm -hmm. Um, Ohio State just went right into it uh, against number five Notre Dame, obviously emerging with a 21-10 victory, not quite beating their 17-point spread, um, but certainly having a strong performance. Um, So Megan, just real off the top, what are your three biggest takeaways from Ohio State's win? Yeah, well, first off, I just want to give credit to where credit is due and I mean, Notre Dame came in prepared. Like, I think a lot of people underestimated them. I did. And they truly played like a top five team in the nation. So credit to Marcus Freeman and his team. They played amazing. But uh, first, I just want to highlight our wide receiver depth. I mean, when JSN went out, I'm not going to lie. I was I was a little nervous because, you know, we don't have Olave and Wilson anymore. So JSN's our guy. And then he gets knocked out early and we have all these inexperienced players. So that made me a little bit nervous, but I shouldn't doubt Brian Hartline in the receiving core here at Ohio State because obviously they still showed out. Emeka Igbuka kind of had his breakout game. Obviously Marvin Harrison played well. Then we got Xavier Johnson. I'm sorry, but I, I didn't know who that was. When he scored, I was like, Ask my friends, I'm like, yo, who's number 10? Who's Johnson? So it was nice to see him, you know, Jaden Ballard, Cade Stover, all of them stepped up and played well in the absence of JSN. So that was really encouraging to see, in my opinion. Yeah, I I have thoughts on Xavier Johnson, like fifth year player. I mm-hmm. like I similarly had to Google who he was. Uh walk on at Ohio State. He was a three-star recruit, declined division one offers to walk on at Ohio State. Um, So pretty phenomenal. He actually has been like a star on special teams for the last several seasons, but this Mm -hmm. is his first real time, um, you know, same time on offense. But Megan, real quick, my favorite moment with Xavier Johnson was right after he caught the touchdown when he made the play on the ensuing kickoff to give Ohio State or give Notre Dame truly awful field position um, that definitely played a part in securing the victory for Ohio State. So we can give him a ton of credit. For real. I mean, he was one of the MVPs of the game. He gave us, you know, the go-ahead touchdown. So definitely kudos to Xavier Johnson. What an like what an Ooh. exciting game. I mean, love it. Um, but moving on to a different position group on offense, our one-two punch at running back is just, I'm going to say it's the best in the nation. Travion obviously did well, but honestly, Mayan Williams, he just refused to go down. The amount of players on Notre Dame's defense who had to try and bring him down and were usually unsuccessful. I mean, I was really impressed by Mayan overall, but I just think alternating between the two, keeping them fresh worked out really well. So I was just super happy with what I saw from the running backs. 
Yeah. And what was really interesting was, you know, there certainly were not questions about the offensive line heading into this year. I think everyone accepted that Ohio State had a really strong offensive line. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think especially at the beginning, folks thought that Henderson, similar to last year, would be our number one back and he would be seeing the bulk of the carries. And he ultimately ended with pretty decent numbers. But like you said, who expected the two punch of Williams? Right. Um, And I think it really was Williams in that drive in the third quarter that was what, like eight minutes long Mm -hmm. or whatever it was that like that was him. He put the team on his shoulders and ran straight downfield. (laughs) Nothing fancy. Exactly. Yeah, that was really – I mean, obviously our offense just looked great in general, so I was happy with that as well. But obviously – the talk of the game was the defense. I I mean, you're saying you have it in, you know, your show notes too, but the way that they just came out firing in the first game of the season, you know, like first half, I was a little jittery because obviously first play of the game, we gave up like, what, 35-yard pass? So that was a little nerve-wracking, but they really settled in in the second half when it mattered um, and limited and the number five team in the country to 10 points. I was just super happy with what I saw. I could not be happier with just how quick the turnaround is. Jim Knowles had high praise for his guys. And it's only going to get better because that was, you know, Knowles said that was kind of a basic game plan for the first game of the season. So once, you know, everyone figures out their roles, gets comfortable, it's only going up from here. So I was super happy with the defense. Um, Well, we can just roll right in because that was my first takeaway as well was it was like watering like a plant. And when you water it, all of a sudden it just gets very perky very quick, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was our defense. And essentially with the exact same personnel that we had last year, this is what Jim Knowles was able to put on the field against, like you said, a really outstanding offense. Mm -hmm. Um. So just very impressive that the defense was able to improve that quickly. One person I did want to call out um, who was is new this year, uh, Mike Hall, uh, defensive tackle. Granted, he was like a top. I think he was the number 54 recruit in the 2020 class. So like we, of course, expect great things from him. Um, but I think we might have been expecting our sacks to come from the likes of like Zach Harrison, maybe. Right. Uh, but it was Mike Hall who, as a sophomore, made the play when it counted. Um, and sacked Notre Dame's quarterback on third and 10, thus stalling a drive for Notre Dame that had the potential to lead a comeback for the Irish. Um, So similar to Xavier Johnson, this kind of new to Ohio State player really stepping up. Yeah. I mean, again, another guy who you're not really expecting much from, but who just totally showed out. He's only a sophomore, like you said. So to play that well in such a big game was just really encouraging to see. Um, I believe he had four tackles for loss, a sack, some more tackles. So he just really showed out and I was super happy with him, but you know, not to play devil's advocate, but you would like to see uh, a better performance from, you know, Zach Harrison, maybe Jack Sawyer. But again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to play, you know, the negative Nancy role. So we'll just stick with hyping up my call because like you said, it was just a really exciting game from him. So super happy for him. Yeah. And certainly, you know, the plant analogy, like the plant perked up, but it's not 
perfectly healthy just yet. (laughs) Um, But there were definitely issues with the defensive secondary. Um, We saw that with Notre Dame. They were even through to the second half able to complete some downfield passes that they probably shouldn't have. Um, But the other piece I wanted to highlight uh, was the red zone defense. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, Notre Dame did only have two red zone possessions, which is great. Uh, Ohio State finished last year allowing touchdowns on, I think it was 74% of red zone possessions. Whoa. That, That's like, it's so bad. bad. It was, <laughs> I think it was, like, the fourth worst in the FBS. Um, Yikes. And certainly not, like, not great. We're not going to be, like, A-plus work, but they did only allow a touchdown on one of the two possessions. Mm-hmm. Um they allowed a field goal on the other one, whatever. Okay, whatever. But, you know, 50% is a lot better than 75%. And only having two red zone possessions is also an improvement. Right. I mean, the fact that, yeah, like you said, they only had two red zone possessions is, I mean, that's even better. So, I mean, I you just, you can't be mad about, you know, allowing one touchdown because your offense is going to bail you out of it. Obviously, we expected a little bit more, but hey, it's first game. So overall, they just did outstanding at, you know, especially stopping the run. I believe they only allowed, I want to say like 30 something yards in the second half. So I think it was, yeah, they allowed, I think like 30 yards on the ground, 74 yards overall um, in the second half, which is pretty outstanding. Right. I mean, they locked down when it counted and it obviously worked out for us. They forced... Notre Dame to punt on their final six possessions of the game on each of their possessions. So I'm just really happy with how they played and excited to see where they go from here. Yep. And here's where it's it's nice that we started out with a top five team because, like, knock on wood, we're playing Arkansas State this weekend. Opening line was 45 and a half points, which mm-hmm. is bananas. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you flip these two games in Ohio State, theoretically, you know, beats Arkansas State by 48 points or whatever Mm -hmm. um, and then goes against Notre Dame, I think it becomes – you have a lot more questions, but obviously Ohio State has been tested early, um, and so we can take what we saw pretty much at face value. I think. Yeah, that is a really good point because, you know, I think pretty much anyone, no disrespect, is going to look pretty good against Arkansas State. So to face – a team as good as Notre Dame right off the bat. That just shows how good we truly are. And like you said, there's no questions moving forward. So this is a great foundation for this team, a great baseline to see where they are. So it was just really nice, honestly, to open the season with such a big challenge. So I'm going to nitpick a little bit here. Okay. Um, So I know you mentioned that you were excited about kind of the receiver depth. I actually... I have questions about offensive depth. So, All right. and it's more along the lines of, and again, this is why it's such a nitpick. So we know that Jackson Smith and Jigba is an animal, right? Mm-hmm. He's maybe the best receiver in college football now. Yes. So it's not that we don't have depth. It's do we have depth that can have the same level of production as JSN if JSN is out? Um. And so we know that Marvin Harrison is good. The pr- other issue that we have not mentioned is that Julian Fleming uh, also True. didn't play on Saturday. Yeah, um, He was ruled out before the game with an injury. So you're missing two of your top three receivers 
kind of out the gate. Yes, Emeka Ibuka stepped up in a big way. He caught the touchdown, the play after Harrison just drops that pass mm-hmm. from Stroud, mm-hmm. which broke my heart. Um, anyway, um, but we do know that Harrison is good. He obviously demonstrated his capabilities in the Rose Bowl. Um, so really, really nitpicking. And again, against a really good opponent that we still managed to beat by double digits. So it's probably irrelevant. Um, but I did just want to call that out, that it was a huge drop off offensively, the performance that we saw against Notre Dame and the performance that we saw in the Rose Bowl. And I think that has to do with JSN's absence. That is valid. That is quite nitpicky, but hey, that is valid. Um, it's it's going to be hard, honestly, probably impossible to match the production that JSN puts up because he is just an absolute freak. Plus, he does have that full year of experience under his belt while all these other guys, it's pretty much their first year, you know, in the starting role. So it'll be hard to, you know, put up the same numbers as JSN. And I just think it's not going to be the same type of offense. Like I think Stroud would just spread it around so much more like we saw on Saturday to four or five guys. Like it's just, it's just a different type of offense without him. So I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, I'd rather see JSN on the field and we would put up more numbers. But it was nice to see that we still figured out a way to win and still succeed without him. But at the same time, like I said, it's still the first game. You know, I think we're expecting a little bit more from Stroud as well. So he's still trying to gel with these new teammates because, you know, it's his first time on playing in a game with them. So... I don't know. I think we'll just see how it goes. Um, but overall, I was happy with what I saw. And and you're right. It was the first game. It was the first game, certainly for Xavier Johnson, where they had to call right. his number to catch a touchdown. So am I expecting too much <laughs> of these young receivers against a really good defense? Probably just calling it out. But, um, <laughs> that's fair and then this is also a nitpick because it's an n of one but special teams concerns so noah ruggles mr reliable mm-hmm. we should not be pressing the panic button yet but he did miss his only field goal attempts on saturday yeah and it was a 29 yarder like that is just he could do that in his sleep with his eyes closed so yeah. that was concerning I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It was surprising. It was upsetting. We all we all have our days, right? Right. He did make his extra point. So he made all three of his extra points. Hey, so. Not everyone in college football did that this week. So again, not pressing the panic button, but just calling out that it was surprising that Mr. Reliable was not reliable. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure everything is fine. But that was just... Like, my jaw literally dropped when that happened because I was like, no way. Noah Ruggles just missed a 29-yard field goal. So he's probably just nervous. I mean, getting the kinks out. So I'm sure it's fine. But that was a bit of a, a questionable moment that happened during the game. Well, the timing was nothing short of predominant there, right? Because yeah. at the time that he missed the field goal, Ohio State was struggling on offense. We'll call it what it is. Right. Um, they were certainly having trouble finding their rhythm in the first half. Um, and so missing the field goal at that point when you would have tied the game effectively is mm-hmm, not a good look for that particular moment. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So probably attributing more gravity to that situation than we need to. And here I am the one bringing it up. (laughs) I think we're all thinking it though. Like we're still super confident in him, him, but at the same time, we're all just shocked by that moment. But we're moving on. It'll be fine. Exactly. But anyway, we have a lot more college football because we've covered exactly Ohio State and Notre Dame and not any of the other storylines that happened over this very exciting opening weekend. Um, But we do have to take a short break. So we're going to come back in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. So, Megan, as we said before the break, this official first week of college football was bananas. Um, I want to kick things off with the noon kick on Saturday, which was Iowa versus South Dakota State. And for those of you who did not indulge in this entire game, Iowa emerged with a 7-3 victory, which included two safeties. So if you need to do that math, that means that Iowa scored zero offensive touchdowns. No touchdowns at all, in fact. This was such bad football, Meredith. I'm sorry. Like, I cannot believe my eyes. Like, no touchdowns were scored in this game. It was 7-3. to three. That is a baseball score. And still, no touchdowns. I just, I, I, Iowa's offensive game plan, I don't know what it was. I'm pretty sure the two teams combined for less than 300 yards on offense. Like, what what did I just see? Please make it make sense. I mean, so here's the thing. The defenses are elite. Like, at least Iowa's defense is elite. You don't get two safeties just on a whim, right? Right. Um, and also, Iowa's punter is so good. He was That's the MVP fair. of that game. I mean, he had to be. And he yeah. did. He showed out. So I will I won't say it was bad football. I will say it was abhorrent offense and good defense. <laughs> okay. Um, fair. But no, I mean, we like we were driving to Minnesota. Dave, my husband is an Iowa fan. So he was like watching on his phone in the passenger seat while Mm -hmm. we were driving. And when it went to five to three, he was like, I don't care anymore. I want it to go final at five to three. (laughs) And he's like, and then I want to see how many games Iowa can win without scoring an offensive touchdown. Uh, Yeah, you might as well make it a thing. I know. And I'm like, oh, is this? Is this what it's like to have a team that doesn't win Big Ten championships every year? Anyway. Or, you know, score a touchdown, <laughs> at least one. <laughs> oh, couldn't be us. Oh, Thank God. It was, I mean, it's it was an exercise in absurdity watching that game. It was something, for sure. But yeah, Iowa, uh, they, they do have opportunity to win more games. Uh, they play Iowa State this weekend, I believe, uh, who is not very good. Mm-hmm. So they could theoretically win that game. The schedule is favorable. I think they could achieve bull eligibility without an offensive touchdown. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, let's let's keep it going. I'm, now I'm, 
tune into Iowa each week, hoping they continually do poorly on offense, yet still pull out a win. So let's just see how long it'll last. Yeah. Um, but moving on, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to catch any of the weekday games last week, but the Thursday slate was phenomenal. We had Pitt, West Virginia in, I think it was after a 12-year hiatus of the backyard brawl. Um, and then we also had conference play with Purdue and Penn State. Um, did you catch either of those games? Yeah, I caught some of each of them. Um, and just like, wow, the endings of both of these games. I mean, they were just back and forth the entire game. And let's start off with Penn State and Purdue. I mean, Sean Clifford, who's, I swear, been the quarterback for 10 I years at Penn State. I it when I heard his name called. Yeah, I was like, he's in his sixth year. Like, goodness gracious. But what a game he had. I mean... He didn't do too great. He did okay at some parts, but in the last, you know, couple minutes when they needed him, what, in the last minute, he came out big. I mean, he showed his experience in this clutch time and got the winning touchdown pass with, I think, less than a minute left to put them ahead of Purdue. So sometimes it it helps to have that veteran quarterback. Yeah, exactly. I think that honestly might have, you know, I don't think that they would have switched quarterbacks after week one, but that definitely solidified him in that starter role. So that was just, that was wild. Of course, from Penn State week one, just wow. What a game. Yeah. Um, Two things I wanted to highlight on the Purdue side. Uh, I hate that vomiting has been such a key theme in like the preseason and the opening week of college football. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) did you see when the... Purdue corner had a pick six and then the camera was like on him on the sidelines and then he just like projectile vomited. No. Oh my gosh. It was so good. Why do they always show that on TV? Like no one wants to see that. I mean, they were just like, it was live TV. They were just like showing like, oh, look at this guy. He just had a great play. And then he just vomited everywhere. God, that's so disgusting. Oh, Oh, man. That's Um, hilarious. But that was one. But then also like on... Back to the theme of Iowa offense, you know where it all went? It went to Purdue because Charlie Jones it was a transfer from Iowa mm-hmm. and was Purdue's leading receiver and played out of his mind. Um, so how Jeff Brom is getting these receivers like David Bell, like Charlie Jones, it's impressive. Purdue certainly has a better offense for it. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the season. Both of these offenses looked pretty good, in my opinion. I mean, Aiden O'Connell, I think, has always been a really solid quarterback. So, And he celebrated his 24th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? But anyways, uh, Purdue, like you said, they've been putting out great receivers. Aiden O'Connell's a solid quarterback. So, yeah, they put up 31 points. So, obviously, that's a a solid offense. So, I'm excited to watch both of these teams moving forward because they both have you know, pretty good teams. Yeah. Well, speaking of putting up points, how about UNC versus App State? Literally, what was this game? Like, it it was just, it was unreal. They bo- they scored, what, 60-something points? 24 points. Yeah, in, this, in the fourth quarter alone, they scored freaking... They scored 62 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, like... Appalachian... What? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Appalachian State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. 
one team scored 40 points. I need you to like yeah. – And they lost. They lost. And they lost. They lost by two. Um, oh, so definitely a stage. heartbreaker. This was – what was this? The 15th anniversary? I think 15th anniversary of when Appalachian State beat Michigan, mm. um, which is one of my favorite oh, memories. Yes. We love App State around here. Yeah. Um, but this was just a bananas game. It was happening at the same time as the Iowa game. Um, so I feel like if you averaged out the scores, they would be <laughs> like average out the baseball score oh, and the man. basketball score. The final for the record was 63-61 North Carolina. Um, but if you average them out, it would be a normal football score. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, two different – they're on the you know opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to offense. But, yeah, if you didn't get your offensive fix from Iowa, switch over to this game. If you wanted more defense, you go to Iowa. Yeah. So there you go. Perfect combination. Yeah, I will be fascinated. Maybe someday we'll see App State versus South Dakota State and Iowa versus UNC. Oh, Who knows? One can only hope. Yeah. Uh, the real sad part about this was App State uh, had an opportunity late, I think maybe before they scored like seven more touchdowns, um, but they did have an opportunity to tie things up with UNC with an extra point. They opted to go for a two-point conversion, which failed, mm-hmm. and that was what led to much of the craziness of the final minutes of the fourth quarter. But speaking of failing on your extra point attempts. Ooh, good transition there. Thank you. Uh <laughs> LSU Florida, or excuse me, LSU Florida State. This was another wild ending. Florida State had this game in the bag. They were Mm -hmm. about to go up two scores, fumble the ball at the one. LSU recovers, drives 99 yards. It looks like they're going to tie things 24 all, and they miss the extra point. I cannot imagine being an LSU fan right now. I mean, it wasn't even a missed extra point. It was blocked. Like, and I'm pretty sure the kicker was a freshman. So that makes it even worse. But I, I cannot imagine the roller coaster of emotions that both of these teams, but especially LSU fans, felt just in the final couple minutes of the game. You know, you're elated because you march 99 yards down the field, and you're like, okay, we're tying it up. We're going to overtime. No, you're going to lose because you couldn't make the extra point. Like, oh. What a start for Brian Kelly as he begins, you know, his tenure at LSU. So that was just yikes, honestly, from both teams because Florida State, how did you almost let that happen? But that was one of the wildest endings I've seen in a minute. Definitely wild. I think I saw that it was the first – LSU was the first SEC team to lose – the only SEC team to lose this opening oh, wow. weekend. Um, so good job, nice. Brian Kelly. <laughs> uh, it's just, I'm sorry. It's very easy to have little to no sympathy for him. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, we're, we're not rooting for him particularly. No, he adopted a fake accent and everything. Like we're, <laughs> we're not on board. Uh, but right. what's also interesting, I didn't see uh, – it's been a while, but Florida State is 2-0 and for the first time, I think, since – they won the national title with Jameis. Oh, wow. So that's an interesting testament to, I guess, how bad Florida State has been. Yeah. But they also, they tend to schedule challenging games at their openers. So, hey, maybe Florida State's back. 
Maybe we'll see. we'll see. Love to see the ACC have some disruption. I didn't. I was less mm-hmm. than impressed with Clemson last night. Like I felt like they turned yeah. it on at the end, and maybe it was just those opening game jitters. But I don't know. Through three quarters, I was like, yeah. I agree. I'm like, come on. Georgia Tech was hanging in there, though. You got to give them credit. But they, I mean, Clemson did pull away. But yeah, like you said, not not too great for their first game. Yeah, two more games to cover. Uh, so, admittedly, I got this next one. Utterly wrong. I, I thought Utah was going to destroy Florida. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, between Cam Rising and Florida just generally being Florida, uh, Utah was going to roll. And in fact, like, Dave was like, oh, yeah, I picked Florida. And I was like, who would ever pick Florida in that game? Right. Um, and then I ate my words, of course. But this was I, a surprise. I think the Pac 12 yeah. in general is just having another year, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was definitely just totally unexpected. I mean, everyone has Utah, you know, maybe in the playoffs because they're so talented. Clearly, we saw that against High State in the Rose Bowl. I had Cam Rising as my dark horse pick for Heisman finalist. So I was just really hyping up Utah. And we're just thinking Florida's not going to be too great this year. They're not even ranked. So I was thinking Utah was going to come out with a blowout win, but you got to give credit to Florida. They just, they showed up and it looks like that they might not be in that rebuilding phase that we thought they would be in. So they just opened with a absolutely huge win over Utah and Anthony Richardson. I mean, Hey, he was pretty sure that was his second career start and he ran for three touchdowns. So that was just such a fun game to watch. You know, so I wasn't expecting it, but hey, college football. So the funniest part of this game, and this was just my personal experience. So at the end, I was watching one game. Dave was watching on his phone. And I'm like, what's going on with Florida, Utah? Mm -hmm. And Dave's like, oh, Utah's driving. They're down three. Worst case scenario, they'll like kick a field goal, go to overtime, or, you know, they'll win in regulation. And then he goes, or, you know, they'll throw an interception in the end zone and Florida will win. I was like, ha ha. And then he's like, no, Mary, that's literally what just happened. (laughs) Like Utah just lost. And I was like, oh, damn. Like, I was not expecting that result. Right. Um, That's hilarious. Timing is everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last game, speaking of the Pac-12, just like, struggling um but also major credit to georgia absolutely demolishing oregon yes i was like okay this is going to be a great game leading up to obviously the high state game we got bo nix making his first start for oregon let's see how georgia does coming off of their championship i was not expecting this at all i mean half of georgia's defense went to the nfl and they're still so good. And then Stetson Bennett actually proved that he is legit and, you know, he wasn't just a fluke at the end of last season. So I I just, I was shocked. And I'm pretty sure that Georgia is now number two and Ohio State dropped a three. But honestly, you can't even be mad at it because that's pretty valid because Georgia just completely obliterated Oregon, which I did not see coming. So, wow. I mean... Georgia had by far the most impressive win of any top 10 team. Like 
Yes. Congrats. Like, good job, Ohio State. Like, beating Notre Dame by double digits is very impressive, but like a 46 to three win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is like, you can't touch that. Really, what should happen is Georgia and Alabama should flip, in my opinion. But I'm yeah. not an AP voter. So, well, and you know, everyone loves Alabama. So that's not going to happen, but one can dream. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> well, that was. An awesome recap of a crazy first weekend of sports. Uh, But back to Ohio State real quick. So looking ahead, we've got, as we discussed, Arkansas State this Saturday. Ohio State opening as a 45-and-a-half point favorite. Um, Real quick, personal opinion on these crazy lines. Mm -hmm. I feel like anything after 28 points is just gravy. Because for so many teams, if you're up by that much, you're going to pull your starters. You're going to – True. Yeah. So how do you actually know? But Vegas tends to get it right. They're smarter than we are. Yeah, but then I guess they really do expect, like, Stroud to just put up, you know, a 50-burger on him, like, in the first half, which, you know, it might happen. We just saw, like we said, we saw Georgia drop 49 on Oregon. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Stetson Bennett, I think he scored, he was involved with six of the touchdowns, I want to say. So, yeah, he got pulled in the third quarter. So he was in there for, you know, about half the game and still put up that many points. So I think Stroud could do it as well. But as for a score prediction, I think I'm going to go slightly under 50. I'm going to go 49-7. I think we're only going to surrender one touchdown. Okay. I'm going to go 54-3. to I'm going to say. Wow. No touchdowns. I mean, I know. I know that uh, I think. Arkansas State beat Grambling State like 48 to 3 also. Um, oh, okay. I'm going to say that Ruggles gets some redemption with a couple field goals. Fair. Or maybe a missed extra point. I don't know. Hey, um, none of that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll – it's probably aggressive. Maybe I'm giving – I'm too high on the defense and I've got too much Iowa on the mind. <laughs> um, hey, hopefully you're right. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all we've got for today. But before we wrap up, Megan, do you have any shout outs? Yeah. So I'm going to switch back to tennis, where, which we started the show with. I just want to shout out Coco Goff. She's 18 years old and she is in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. And honestly, I think she might be a lot of people's favorite to win right now. She's certainly who I'm rooting for. You know, a young American who is this has really been her year. She's really been doing well. So just shout out to her. She's doing awesome. And it's been so fun watching her play. So definitely rooting for her to win the whole thing. Love that. I want to shout out my friend Nick because a bunch of us went to dinner on Friday for my husband's birthday. And we were talking about the WNBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Nick goes, I'm just really happy that they cover the WNBA on SportsCenter now so we can all have a conversation about it. Oh, and I was like, love that. I love that so much. <laughs> No, honestly, the Sports Center has been giving like a good amount of their show to WNBA coverage. So, shout out to them. Shout out to Nick for realizing it and hyping up the WNBA. I I love that all around. Great story. It's just a testament to like we all want to be talking about this. It's hard to talk about something that you don't feel knowledgeable about yeah. because you haven't been able to watch the games and they're True. not covering it in summary. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like you said, kudos to everybody who's making this a priority and allowing us to have these conversations. The consensus at the table, unfortunately, was that the sky have 
some serious issues. That's valid. Yeah. Okay. all we have for today. Uh, as a reminder, you can follow Megan at Megan Hustline, me at Meredith Hine, and the site at Lane Grant 33 We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl, and as always, go Bucks.